My guest today is a successful session drummer and also the drummer for Spock's Beard, who have a new album coming out called The Oblivion Particle on August 21st. I'd like to welcome Jimmy Keegan. What's happening? Well, what's up, man? How you been? I've been good. Yourself? Uh, doing okay. You guys are getting ready to release the new album. The, the first official lyric video just went out. So tell me what's been going on and if things are starting to get hectic yet. I don't know if they're getting hectic yet on, on my end. Um, but yeah, things are moving and, and it's, you know, that whole process. This is the part where I enjoy watching other people do their work. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and stick my nose in as much as possible to make it even more difficult. Right, yeah. So what happens when, you know, the album typically gets done and mastered and everything and delivered to the label? What's the timeline from when that happens to when you guys then officially, you know, it comes out and you guys start hitting the road and stuff? How long is that? Well, this record has been, uh, we finished it in June. Well, we technically finished it before that. Um, but, you know, in terms of mastering and, you know, all the, you know, to where we're delivering a finished product, that was, uh, yeah, that was in June. Okay. Yeah, so not too, so pretty then, quick from, from yeah, then to when it starts the, the whole process of, uh, I guess, promoting come, starts to happen. Yeah, that's the first stage is it starts going out to, you know, various uh magazines and uh online services and uh so they can get a chance to you know to absorb it and write up the reviews and what have you and that way they coincide with the release and then yeah the little the little thing starts sneaking out uh the progressive rock world is different than the uh than the general pop world because it's well it's not as big so you're dealing with a more specific audience. It's a it's kind of a captive audience. They're they're there already. They're waiting to hear. Right. So fortunately, our our core audience that we already have their attention. Right. So the, you know the, the phase of it is just a matter of you know okay here's a little taste of what's going on. Here's a snippet of that. Here's a video of that. Um. And I think I think even that's adapting to a certain degree because you know artists are willing to part with with the material a little easier, you know, to play a song and to release a single type thing, you know, the lyric videos and stuff like that. Does that help in, in, especially in like your genre, because like you're saying, you have a captive audience, so they might've been ready to buy the record regardless. So maybe giving them a little taste early, isn't that big a deal? Is that, is that how you mean? No, I, I think it's, I think it's great. And actually we, we, I ended up talking to the, to the guys in Spox about it, uh, in a rather lengthy email or um, because it isn't it isn't the norm to start putting out material. It's like, hey, you know, we need every dime. Um, to me, I see it as this is an advantage. That our, the, the fans are our greatest resource, not just in terms of the functional aspect of they're the ones that buy the product, and buy the tickets, and so on and so forth. But you know, the people that love the band, especially in the progressive world, it's a very passionate audience. It's a very educated audience. Um, they're the ones that are going to go, hey, check this out. Hey, listen to this. It's, it's sort of like the, the teenage girls do, if I may be so general, um, <laughs> for, for the Katy Perry's and the, uh, you know, the Taylor Swift's and stuff like that. That's yeah. the reason they're popular is because they go on their, service, their, their, their media and, and share it. Look, it's the new Katy Perry song. Yeah, yeah, new Katy Perry song. It's what used to be singles. You know, it used to be 45s. You'd go to the record shop and you'd get the new 45, and then you'd take it to your and have a have record listening parties. Well, do you think? Do you see it sort of as a 
an advantage in a way in the the way the industry is today to be in a genre that is sort of a niche as opposed to battling against the sort of the pop music machine which is so hard to get uh, you know even a piece of, of the pie there but when you're in this progressive world well it may not be as big as the high of the the pop world but you have like you said that audience that is always there that you can rely on and and maybe allows you to to keep doing this for a living yeah i i think in particular uh the the people that listen to progressive music because they're so hungry for it it's like please give me something that you know involved thought um it's it's much easier to have the built-in audience because even people, I mean, at the end of the day, there's even the fans that say, oh, you know, I don't like that particular artist. In reality, they do. It's just, you know, they've, they've, they've had time to become picky. But if you said, you know, you know, okay, I'm not that big a fan of, you know, whatever band, but, you know, do you listen to them? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, they're still great musicians. There's always a, oh, well, wait. <laughs> there's a forgiving moment point. <laughs> right, right. Um, there's a respect. So that goes not only to the bands that are the well-established bands, but it goes all the way down to the bottom to the guys that are coming out. Anybody that's willing to go through the process of learning their instrument and writing lyrics that are of a particular nature and, and try to do progressive music, the progressive fans are hungry for it. So they'll support it. They'll at least get on there and say, and, and listen and give it a chance. So new artists have the advantage the old artists have at least the advantage that the audience that they know their audience is going to give them a shot right so both so top or bottom you're in the same boat and to that end you guys as a band are left a little bit with uh well not a little bit but probably with a lot more freedom uh to do whatever you want whereas if you were we, on that other end they'd they'd be going to you and saying well that that song's too long right yeah the the upshot of it as well is that for for me, and and any other artist in this genre, like jazz as well, there's there's certain artistic based genres that they're not consumers, they're people. And that person who was willing to go and buy the CD or do the download or, or buy the ticket to the concert, now I know it's a person, and it's it's now my joy to return the favor. You bought my record, now I want to give you something. Not just in terms of the art of the of what's on the record. But if you come to the concert, it now I'm uh, inspired to do a great show for you, to to work as hard as I can at my craft, get better at it, make a better record next time, and uh, to constantly try and grow as an artist. I want to talk about the new album, of course, which is uh, Oblivion Particle, comes out August 21st. Um, tell me about you know what the, what was the process behind the new album and. And now being, uh, you know, uh, the full-time drummer on the, on a second album, how's it sort of changed your involvement in, in the whole process? Well, going into Brief Nocturnes, I had the advantage of already knowing everybody and working with them for quite a while. So there was a high level of trust um, in both directions. I trusted their, their talents, you know, as musicians and, and writers and what have you, and they trusted my abilities. However... I didn't know their process, and they didn't know my process. So there was a certain learning curve. Uh, we all met for the first batch of sessions, uh, kind of went over the songs, uh, hashed out the arrangements, uh, and then when we went in the studio, everyone was there. 
and we did so I had the advantage of kind of playing to the band um, and that's great uh, the second album the, the one now with Oblivion Particle um, it came time you know drums first cool like yourself out Jim let's know when you're done <laughs> right. I mean, Al was there, Rio was there, because it's you know it's hard to get Dave and Ted live up north, so it's um, you know it's not so easy to have the, you know spend the money to have them come down just to stand around and watch me hit drums. Um, but nevertheless, that was the vibe. It was it was definitely that feeling of you know we we trust that what 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 you what you're going to do is going to be great. You know we're going to like it. And I felt that, even though, like I said, Al was there, Rio was there, you know, John was always there. And, um, it was still nice to have that that confidence, a vote of confidence of, you know, now we know what you're going to do, and we're looking forward to it, and just let us know when you're done. And still, I mean, I had input because I would call on occasion and go, "Hey, Ted, what did you, you know, on his song, you know, what was it that you were thinking in this section? What are you, what are you hoping to hear out of this?" And I'd get his input, and but uh, yeah, it's it's a great vibe to to feel that so so then yeah. you're done with the drums and and you sort of go off they track the other instruments and you're not there and you hear it later or were you kind of hanging around um we all tried to you know those of us that were close tried to hang around as much as possible um i'm personally i'm a very hands-on person i like to hear if anything i just like to experience the process even if i don't participate you know if i'm not throwing out ideas or you know, or critiquing things. I still just like to see how people work, um, just for the learning process. Um, you know, Ted's such a great singer. I, I like to hear how he gets into things and and how he records. And and yet, in, in a lot of cases, it did just end up being, you know, you're done, here you go. Yeah, I mean, it really is that. Everyone gets their parts, and now they go off and do their things. And, you know, and we critique. As it comes back, hey, maybe, you know, this section can be a little more of this or that. And, but by the time it gets to the tracking phase, we've all kind of gone over that. We've all had our little notes. It seems like uh, sort of a real natural progression from the last album to this one. The last album was a really big success um, by all indications for the band, with especially with a new lineup. And, uh, and this album sounds like a, just another cohesive unit, kind of building on the previous one. You know, tell me about the, the first single, Minion, and... Uh, you know, I guess that's uh, one that Ted wrote, and, and what was the process behind that track? Um, he wrote that back when he wrote, uh, I believe when he wrote Submerged and, and a handful of other songs, and it was it was originally sent uh, as a possibility for the previous album, but it was incomplete. And we, we hit a stage, you know, at some point you, you hit a, a stage where you have to go, okay, let's cut you know, whatever is incomplete because we need to focus on the things that are that are ready to go. So it got pushed aside um, until this record when I think I was talking about it with John and we were talking about Ted songs because Ted was unbelievably busy. He was doing the transatlantic thing. He was doing uh, working on an enchant record. You know, there, there, he was he was being pulled left and right, uh, plus our tours and what have you. So I just went back to him and said, hey, what about that tune, Minion? You know, there was a couple of songs that I remembered him having from the, the previous batch. And why don't you go finish that? Because that way at least you know you have a focus, you know, a direction and a goal. It'd be easier to finish. And he did. I mean, he just, uh, a couple of days he came back and said, yeah, man, check this out. And he brings this fully fledged, you know, 
bass, you know, bass keys, drums. And there were a few little minor adjustments and, you know, it was ready to go. Was it a tough choice deciding on that song to be the single? There's 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 some really obvious uh, songs as well. Like you guys streamed uh, Tides of Time, the, the first single for like a week and, we, and a lot of other we ones. We didn't. So. That, was a, that was an inside out thing. Oh, okay. That's the other thing in, in, in the prog world. It's like a single. <laughs> yeah, right. What does that mean, your, really? Your shortest days, song yeah. is six minutes, you know. That's sort of right. Um, you, you put the shortest song and may put that one out, right? That's usually what happens. Yeah, I think what they were going going for was, you know, for the sake, if you're going to do a, a lyric video, then it should be a strong lyric. And Minion has a really strong lyric. You know, it's a very interesting song, and it, it does things a, a little unusual, you know. Ted's writing is, as much as it's still very progressive, he has a, a pop sensibility. His songs have strong choruses. There's always something you can sing, and which is which is great because it it also, I think that inspired John a lot, for his songs, because John could write pop songs till he's blue in the face, but a lot of his earlier work with Spock's Beard tended to be more open-ended artistic, and it wasn't such a focus on the chorus, you know, or or a singable part as much as just writing a uh, a piece of music. Um. Whereas the presence of Ted, suddenly you've got that concept going. It's like, okay, well, we'll stick to that idea. So now John's songs have much stronger focal points and memorable sections. And so it made the album even more cohesive and stronger. There's another song that, that's another favorite of mine that, that I'm sure more, more people will hear once it comes out, which is the last song on the album, Disappear, which is... I think a really different type of track for you guys and, and um, just really epic uh, and, a, and a great closing song. So, uh, yeah, tell me about that song and, and what's the story behind that one? John knew, uh, John had it, you know, again, he brings fully fully formed material to the table as well. And Ben says, if there's anything you guys don't like, change it. Okay. Um, so, and we do. I mean, a couple of the songs went through you know, not drastic changes, but, you know, certain structural changes. And, um, but this one was done. This was like, oh, no, we just need to go in and record it. Really? Um, so it was easy. This was another song that had a lot of imagery. It's great. When you have a song that's, that's fully formed like that and the, the lyrics are so image-based, it, it makes it easy to record. It's, you know, you just go in and, you know, oh, I already know what the drums are going to sound like. You know, I can hear everything done. And that was a, that was the case with that song. It's, but it's hard. <laughs> really hard to play. Is it really? That whole middle section, the violin solo and, and all that sort of stuff is. It, it took a minute to kind of get it. It's not just. It's not a question of understanding it. It's a question of making it feel comfortable. When John uh, gives you guys a song like that, does it come with the whole instrumental section in the middle, or is he like verse chorus lyric oh, yeah. guy? No, no, he, it's it's done. It's fully formed. We we already know what's coming, and we knew that we were going to have uh, uh, Ragsdale on it the whole bit. I think the X album put John in a a little bit more to the uh, functional production. Um, I wasn't present for the albums prior to that, right? But I did sing on X, um, and I was always talking, I and mean, we were always conversing, and you know, I was stressing with the guys. You could use a producer. It would be nice to have somebody act as like a... Because that's kind of what Neil functioned as in the earlier days, besides being the guy who wrote everything. 
he also functioned like a producer. You know, I want the record to sound like this. Right. You know, to to be a a veto. You know, I got an idea. Oh, I don't know about that idea. I are you know I have this idea, and to have someone be able to walk in and go, well, tell you what, it's going to be this. <laughs> you know, however, you do it diplomatically and, and and politically, but but he functioned in that way. When he left, it left everyone kind of going, okay, so who's like the de facto leader and and I think from my understanding, and I could be wrong on this, but my understanding is if if Nick wrote the song, then Nick was the, you know, oversaw everything. If Al wrote the song, then Al oversaw everything. And so on, so forth down the line. Um, but I think you still need someone to oversee the whole project. And you hear it. When you hear X, you finally go, oh, okay, now there's some cohesion here. Now the album from top to bottom has a a strong vibe to it and a, you know, it sounds like it was all recorded at the same time, kind of thing. Yeah, and I I think that's fair. I mean, when you uh, when you look at the the self titled album that came out, that's sort of when it all started to come together again. Um, yeah, things seemed to be more cohesive, and that that was the stellar record. So it it sort of kind of crept back up to that. I, I think that's fair. Yeah, and it culminates into X, where X is where they finally went. Bam. This is the new Spock's beard, and then it changed. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys but, floored but people with the with uh, brief nocturnes. I mean, no one was expecting such a phenomenal record with a with a third change like that. I mean, it was really not a lot of bands can pull that off to the success that you guys did. But I think I think that comes from the fact that the the momentum was already there, and and Ted is so close to you know he's he was already such a fan of the band. He knew everything so intimately. Um. And me being already part of the fold, it was it was still very easy to go. I you know we know where everything's going. Let's just continue that path. So even though you have the presence of Ted and his writing and his his influence as a singer and a guitar player, um, my influence as a drummer, the the momentum of the band is still the same. We're still you know you still very clear on on the direction and the focus. Right. All you have is a certain artistic difference. You know, how do I approach a groove? How do I approach a complex part? How does Ted sing things? You know, uh, so the the differences are actually they're major in in from one perspective, they're minor in another perspective. So yeah, it made it made that album easy, and same with this one. It's it's just this album was even easier than the last, at least in terms of like it, it came together and we started. There were things that we questioned at first. But we question brief nocturnes. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. I don't know if this is going to work. How are we going to pull that off? Or, you know, what are we going to do? How is it going to sound like? And, you know, and, until you start taking that little step forward and going, well, how about I go track some drums? Is it hard sometimes when you're writing this kind of music to uh, almost feel a pressure to, uh, oh my, we didn't put enough solos in, or, or we need a 10 minute song because all the songs are too short, or, you know what I mean? To over progressive the music at times? It happens. I, I don't know that that pressure is there, but it, but it definitely happens. Um, and we'll even make jokes about it in the studio. And Al would tell me when we were tracking Brief Nocturnes, you know, play more, play more. Come on, man, it's frog. <laughs> right. You can more. And, and Rio, you know, Alan Rio was, you know, pushing this envelope of being really technical. And, and I just wasn't feeling it on that record. I was feeling songs like, you know, you know Al's song, the, the Man You're Afraid You Are, uh, that song was just a total Bonham groove thing. And they're saying, you play something and I'll play bigger fills. I'm not feeling it. Right. And it's, it's great because at some point they go, well, okay, that's what you feel. You got to 
step back and say you're you know you're the drummer you know and the same in reverse you know i trust what you put down in guitar is going to be perfect for you know when all is said so once i tracked the drums to all that now al could go back in and when he approached his guitar he's realizing oh wait now i'm understanding why i made those decisions because now he has more room to do different things now there's more room for certain melodic passages and you know little frills and and details you could hear things that you probably wouldn't would have noticed had i played busier and so the appreciation is different so now when we come into this record it's just play do what you feel and in turn this record i'm a lot busier um there's a lot more complex passages um I wanted to uh, ask you just a couple more things. Um, if you want to just chime in real quick uh, on what it was like singing on this album and, and singing on Bennett Built a Time Machine, which is really one of the highlights of the record. And, and is that sort of a requirement of being a drummer in the band, you know, that, that, that <laughs> well, you, maybe in, you had initially to sing it was. Yeah, initially that was part of the part of the job description. Is you had to be able to sing and sing these high parts because that's what Nick did. When when Ted first when you know when we first sat down and discussed okay this is the lineup of the band we did talk about the fact that as much as Ted is the, the singer of the band there are other singers in the band so we should always try to keep that open you know Al has a really cool quirky voice and he sang in the past and everyone participates in terms of background vocals but you know, even Dave has an interesting voice that could be utilized uh, more than it is but but I did emphasize the fact that I was. I'm game for singing a tune if one should come up. So if it's apropos and it's not stepping on anyone's toes, uh, you know, I'd love to take a song here and there. Yeah, so I mean, that's really what it was. when we, Because a lot of the, the songs that John wrote on this were so uh, based on imagery, it involved characters. And uh, Ted is Ted. He sings the way Ted sings. And this is, this is his, what he's telling me. You know, he's like... I don't know that I want to become a character. That's not the kind of singer I want to be. So I kind of went, well, how do you feel about me giving a crack at it? And we kind of went, you know, sure, why not? Nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. And so I did. You got the, the cruise coming up. Uh, you did the Prognation cruise last year. Now there's the, the Cruise to the Edge coming up. We did just keep adding more and more bands. Uh, it's It's getting crazy. Um, yeah, I thought they were done with adding bands like four months ago. <laughs> yeah, and then Neil, Neil was added last week, and Haken was announced uh, today. It's it's almost becoming Prognation Two with Yes, so uh, not a bad yeah. deal. Um, do you like those kind of things? Are they are they more challenging to to be a part of? Are they just fun? Do you get to let loose? You know, I I love the one we did. The Prognation Cruise was great. Um, and and I love it again. Back to what I was saying in the beginning, it's it uh, it puts us in touch. Uh, Spox has always made a point of of in, you know going out after shows and and signing autographs and talking to people and, and and meeting the people that you know that keep us alive. And I mean, to me, that just I mean, I always finish a tour feeling like a better person because now I haven't just gone to I didn't just go to Germany. I went and met Germans and met people in different parts of the country that, you know, hear the way they talk and the way they communicate and, and, and get a sense that, you know, I've learned something and felt something. So now on the cruise you have, you, it's not just the fact that you have all the fans, they're right 
you know, you're right in the middle of it all because you're playing, you're the, you're the musician for that moment you're on stage. For the rest of the time, you're, you're just one of the rest of the batch of people. You're a fan looking to go see King's X play, you know? Right. <laughs> I love it. I'm looking forward to this one as well. Um, big yes fan. I'm, of course, really sad that, you know, Chris passed away and just in general, but also that, you know, that's, he's not going to be part of that. And the other advantage is that you get to meet all these other bands. You know, the, the fans get to meet all the bands, but, but the bands get to meet each other, you know. You get to see people that you know. Like, we did a couple of dates with Haken here a couple months back, and they're great. Great band, but great guys. So it's good to see them again. And Neil, of course, and Mike. And well, listen, man, it's uh, it, this was fun. I, I think we learned a lot, and uh, really pleasure speaking with you. We wish you the biggest success on the album, and uh, I think everyone's going to like it. So uh, hopefully we'll Thanks. see you on the road and on the cruise and, and all of that. Yeah. All right, man. All right, man. Thanks, bud. Thank you. Take it easy. Yeah. Bye. Thanks to Jimmy for the interview. We're going to close with a track off of the Oblivion Particle. This is the first single, Minion. For upcoming news and interviews, please check theprogreport.com. Follow us on Facebook, at The Prog Report on Twitter, and download the podcast on iTunes. Thanks. A minion of the Citadel I gave it up and left my post A stronghold, neither strong nor held And now you're totally exposed
You found your tower is on the ground in pieces. The fortress you prized, but never bothered to fortify its weakness. 